How you feeling? This is cool. This is fun. Yeah. You're, 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 you're really lighting up the room. It's making me happy to be here. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Yeah. yeah this is fun. This is a different experience. So now he's going to write it on the wall over here, but um, tell us about your book. Oh, my book is called Surviving Trauma. And um, it just talks about from the beginning of my life to the end of my life and how different aspects that I endured and how now I've just come out of everything just stronger, right? Because a lot of times when we get placed in certain situations, we let it mold us and with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. And so just how I finally work my way out of that. And um, it wasn't an easy process. I'm very real and raw in my book, you know, um, through childhood molestation, rape, um, beatings, foster care, um, pimps. It's just, you name it, I've done it. A side Whoa. chick, like I've, I've done it all. <laughs> You've been every kind of female in that world. Pretty stuff. much, but I feel like now I can speak to all the females because I've, yeah. I've been there and I've done that. So now in your book here, uh, does, do you walk us through the process of that? Or is that kind of what you're telling us in the book? You're explaining what you went through, not only what happened to you, but, but the steps maybe that led up to it or after it or what, what does the book read like? Definitely. Um, it just starts from my first childhood memories of foster care and my brother being drugged by a dog and, um, people leaving you because when people constantly leave you, you feel rejected. You, you know, when my grandmother, my biological grandmother left us at, um, our new mother's house, me and my brother got adopted together and sitting there with the suitcase and you watch the only person, you know, drive away. And that was normal to me. And so I hated, I hate that word. It's such a strong word, but I, I, I hated people at a young age. Mm -hmm. So I was closed off. I didn't know how to receive love. I didn't know how to give love. And then it just talks about, um, words. A lot of times people don't know words can affect you. And mm -hmm. so when people call you stupid and idiots and you're just a foster kid, it sunk into my brain. Well, we're already kind of doing that to ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. And somebody comes along and validates that in their moment of, of frustration and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this this kind of behavior really begins with our children. And that's sort of, you know, if anything, you, you, you can empower the women who will empower their children to not have to live this that's kind of what it's about i mean there's no other way to fight that kind of thing than to just be something different later go volunteer with the big brothers big sisters or something the like that speaks to you yeah that that allows you to be involved with somebody to make sure they don't live what you live that's, that's right kinda what we're doing here isn't it yeah well we gotta stop that um the stigma in different cultures where it's okay to talk to your kids and, and yoke them up and punch them in the chest and boys don't cry. Like we got to stop that. Mm -hmm. And just by, um, 
Oh my goodness. <laughs> Just by you know you didn't like it as a child. It seemed like you stopped to relive something there. Did you just see mm. uh, see a moment in your lifetime? You caught that. Yeah. Uh yeah. I I was beaten, you know, I'm not against child getting a spanking. There's a mm. difference between a spanking and a beating. Mm. I think and the child knows the difference too, don't they? Yeah, we do. Mm. We do. I I had fly swatters, the metal part of fly swatters put up and down my body. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple wooden spoons broken over our backs. Mm-hmm. Food, and this was in my adoptive home. Mm-hmm. And when foster parent, uh, not foster parents, I'm sorry, social workers would come in and out. You guys never stopped and asked the children, "How are we?" Mm-hmm. You always wanted to see the the picture. You know when the social workers are coming. You're right about that. It seems like everybody involved, the adults that find themselves, they just want to have like a gotcha moment for each other. Yeah. And the children are sort of forgotten in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're not really seen in, in what we're supposed to be doing here, which is, is lovely. Like there's such a clear difference. You know, you, you described a little bit of the fly swatters and the spoons. Mm-hmm. and These are violent means of dealing with people. And, and I think at the root, the, the lesson for all of us, because many of us have never broken a spoon on anyone. Yeah. Right. Uh, the lesson that we should all maybe take away is that sometimes we just want someone else's behavior to stop. Yeah. And with children, especially that becomes true. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to recognize what we're doing to try to make something just stop. Mm. This is a realization I came to in my marriage. When wow. I, when I argue with my wife, oftentimes you know, she has emotions like I will never have, yeah. uh, or at least never be able to express. And, and even expanding all the cultures, we've all lived that part of it. The part that, uh, you know, you're a little sissy if, uh, so it, it's taken me some time of getting to know this woman and reflecting myself there to get it. But there are a lot of times where something I say that I have no idea is even a thing yeah. could erupt her emotionally. And I'm left with like, why are you always crying all the time? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and we just, that's the first separation. So I think it's real important for men to understand that we don't really have a position to, to question what someone else is feeling. We can question how they're feeling it. We can help them process it after uh, and sometimes it does take like a, okay, I hear you, but that's too much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, so when, when we get in that behavior of trying to demand to stop, especially from a parent to a child mode, uh, shifting gears back to that, I mean, God, the damage you could do to a child by just thinking you were helping he or she mm-hmm. to stop a behavior. Well, and kids also, they just get told, because I said so. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do it because I said so. And mm. I'm like, no, we stop talking over your children. Mm. And I'm not saying don't be the parent. You mm. are the parent. Don't let your kid walk all over you. Mm. But sometimes we got to come down to their level and show them and teach them and, and tell them why we can't do certain things. What is the outcome if I do this and this and this? You know, and we got to we got to humble ourselves as parents because mm. the way that we are talking, we are setting our kids up for depression, for suicide. And we just say, go play in the other room. Your parents need to know what's happening in that other room uh. because molestation and rape does not just come from adults. Mm. It comes from other children 
who have been molested and then they act out to other children. So that go play house, go play outside and us parents just chilling in the house, just the kids are in the other room that needs to stop. And we have a natural enemy for that because children want to do that. They want to go off and be in that other room. And it's, it gets brutal sometimes, you know, because as a parent, I'll go to that other room and Hey, let's get up. We're going to go, we're going to go for a hike this morning. And literally she'll look me cold in the face and it's just this. Yeah. Who are you to tell me what to do? Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So, you know, and, and so there is a natural, we, you know, we're parents too. I think that's the thing is I don't want to appear to bring the hammer on parents for not understanding, but there's that moment you mentioned where they say, uh, it's, it's because I said so. I believe that that moment is related to the parent not understanding or reconciling their own feeling about whatever this child's just yeah. been done that stopped it and makes you go, because I said so right now in this moment, there's nothing going on, but I said so go away. Now, sometimes maybe that's necessary. I met some stubborn kids out there that just needed to hear somebody say, I've told you four different ways why. Yeah. Now it's because I said so. Yeah. You know? Uh, or the difference of that first time that's like, well, you know, maybe why can't I have a glass of water? And because I said so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere between those two. There's a fine line, definitely. Yeah. And it just, um, we just need to talk to people with respect. You know, if we're not talking to children with respect, how are they going to talk to us with respect and their peers? I have two sons and I say, hey, sir, I call my children, sir. My daughter, I call Mm -hmm. princess because I want to, you guys, who you are, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not just a nigga. You're not just some boy on the street. You're not what the world says that you are. And as parents, if we instill who they are into them at a young age, they're not going to really accept different stuff. Mm. My mama never called me stupid. I'm not stupid. You know, so we got to watch how we speak to them. It matters. It matters. It matters. I dealt with word curses, the people calling me stupid and you're just a fetal alcohol kid. And I never thought I would achieve anything in life because I was the stupid girl. Mm. So it Mm. matters, you know, I agree with you. Uh, You know, it comes back to to that thing, especially in the culture we live in. People are so free flinging their words. Uh, They're not they're not talking to to listen they're they're talking to just be heard and yeah and that's why it comes to the first person that gives any kind of resistance to their thought it just goes into the name calling and some of that ugly stuff you're talking about Mm -hmm. and and meanwhile the the part that we really have to focus on if we really want to talk about saving our children Mm -hmm. the part we have to focus on is that they're watching all of it Come on. My kids are on Facebook. They don't post. They don't like putting pictures up. There's a whole new culture the way children. You have a picture up on your, just a shake your head or a yes or no is good. That's okay. Do you have a picture of yourself or is it just like a purple? My daughter's is just a purple sheet of color. No, She doesn't. She only has Snapchat. Yeah, see? Yeah, no, no Facebook and Instagram. They use it a whole different way. We used it real openly. Come on. Because we got it, right? Yeah. We were like, look at that, we got this. And out, right out of the gate, just the whole society changed into this ostentatious, like, worshiping crazy things. I mean, I I get it. You want to run with the devil a little bit. You got to learn some lessons. 
great books like yours don't happen if if you don't run with the devil a little bit. And it doesn't get you any far, let me tell you. No, it does not. And and the thing is, that's why they call him the enemy in my mind, because he'll let you walk as far into the playground as you like. Dance, have fun. The yeah. moment you have that realization, it's time to go the other way. Yeah. Oh, well, you learn your enemy then. Man. You know? You're, you're on point. Yeah. I mean, you accidentally walk into situations that, you know, you're just blinded by. Mm -hmm. If you, when we want to play games, like you said, with the devil, and it sounds good at first. Take this one drug. Take oh, this yeah. one drink. You'll have the best time of your life. Yourself. And then you're stuck. Yeah. in this addiction and now this addiction this alcohol because i was an alcoholic mm -hmm. this addiction mm -hmm. soothed me mm -hmm. i didn't have to feel pain the memories went away so i was drinking bottles of wine baby shots and i didn't even realize i was an alcoholic because my friends were doing it the world is doing it and i was like i drink everyday bottles mm -hmm. because i didn't want to deal with stuff yeah and oftentimes though when we, we you mentioned we go find ourselves in these places most times we're strolling in freely with a bottle in the air. Like, here I come into this crazy situation. And then you turn around and go, whoa, it's crazy in here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I saw, <clears throat> I used to work at the, the front door of a, a bar here in town. Mm -hmm. And it's a downtown bar. It's been a bar for, I don't know how many decades. Yeah. It's a bar you go to when you're in the craziest haze of hazes. I've probably been there. Uh, positive <laughs> of it. Uh, so, you know, we we have a chapter of stories from the from the video camera at the front door there that we used to refer to from those days that just that's all you see was people strolling in looking for it. And that's yeah. the thing is once you're in it, you're kind of looking for it. And it, the more you go, I mean, the more you accept a lower standard of yourself, Come on, the harder it is to get back up out of there. Yeah. Yeah, you've you've placed yourself so low and it's because we don't think that we're important and we need to stop looking at society. We need to stop looking at all these video girls and rappers and wanting to be that because you don't know the mindset that comes behind all of that. And mm. it's sad. We're teaching our young children just to walk around half naked oh. and twerking. I see little girls at the pool, five, seven years old, twerking in a bathing suit. I'm like, what are we doing, people? We need to wake up. Oh, the, as parents do think about it here, it's where it starts. As a five-year-old starts twerking, most moms look and go, oh, my God, that's cute and funny. So sad. Maybe the first time. Now, I had an experience. My daughters were in the pool at one of the casinos here. We like to take them to the pool. And this little boy, about seven, my daughter, uh, it was my two daughters and my niece, actually. And they were 12, 13, and 14. Little boy around six or seven. Thinks he's super cute. He's swimming around doggy style in the pool. And he swims right up to my little niece. And he tries to kiss her. No. And she pulls her hand back. And... The parents both sitting on the, the 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 side of the pool, just laughing. Oh my God, isn't he cute? So I kind of go. I, I so they weren't anything. Like, Young man, do me a favor and just swim away from my daughters, okay? <laughs> and he okay. A couple minutes later, because his parents now thought he's cute and fine, he comes swimming back, and he kept going to the point where I I'm stuck with this choice: Do I drown the kid? Right. <laughs> do I punch the dad? Right. <laughs> Which way do I go here? Right. So ultimately, you know, you pull your kids out of the pool. 
They miss out on their pool time because these parents won't check their kid. And that is the example of how, you know, this young man now perpetuates something 13, 14, 15 years old. Yes. Seven. Yes. <laughs> so those are the moments. Those are what we look for. The, the moments to check ourselves and say, is what our kid is doing mm-hmm. actually something we want them doing? Right, right. And we got to teach our children to have a voice. I don't care what age you are. Mm. I don't care what age you are. You don't, you know, people are like, oh, you can hug everybody, walk in the room, hug your auntie, hug your grandma. Stop that. Stop teaching your kid they have to hug everybody because when that pedophile and that monster comes to hug them, you've already taught them that it's okay. He's good to hug or she's good to hug. These daughters don't need to be sitting on people's laps. They don't need to hug everybody. You know, Uh, yeah, I mean, come on. It's a personal decision thing, isn't it? My my girls actually, this is somewhere where my kids are really perceptive and they will check me constantly on stuff that I don't understand. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and they, they're, they're pretty smart kids. I mean, I didn't realize the internet was raising them 45%, but Come I'm on. still in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's, you, you're saying exactly what it is. My my oldest talked about a guy that, you know, she, so everybody in the family was trying to make her give this guy a hug and it was okay. And she didn't want to. Well, my wife actually said, fine, you don't have to. Yeah. I'd behind the leg here and that's good. And, and they ended up kind of checking him to go away. And, and that, speaks volumes to her because she has a real inherent fear of it yeah it's different when i was growing up i didn't fear pedophiles right pedophiles were like we society had already done what it needed to to make sure these people were repressed to a bare minimum right and any of them that exist were probably locked up somewhere right but but now we just have such open range for anybody to see anything and it's just like you said with words. You call someone stupid once, they're going to call themselves stupid a hundred times. Well, a picture's worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. And all uh, some, some person who's on the brink of really understanding relationship and why adult-child relationship is an absolute fucking no-no from the start. I don't care who you are or what you've been through. It's a, it's a relationship dynamic. It, it should exist in the same way we view how we wouldn't try to have a relationship with a blue whale. Right. It's totally fucking off limits and doesn't make sense. Yes, sir. But, but I got derailed because I'm so angry at pedophiles. I didn't grow up with that kind right. of thing. I knew that, right? Right. Now, there's so much of it that's just kind of running wild in imagery that it's and you you already started to allude to it dolls that are actually being made the amount of grooming in our Come society on. and we don't even know you know most times i i, I want to walk you down a funny type of thought pattern i saw this doll this woman did this experiment on the uh the webernet somewhere i don't know where i was looking <laughs> videos to me but she she took these new troll doll things. I saw it. Okay. So you know where I'm going. And 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 you put these things in water and suddenly they're dressing like a dominatrix and yeah. like all these I mean, really super over the line yeah. things, right? Uh now that to me is some creeper out there. Maybe he's targeting children specifically in his mind, mm-hmm. or maybe he's targeting children's mothers. 
the mothers are going to think this is hilarious when it gets wet and see it for themselves. And then they're going to want to collect the dolls. And some, some dude was doing some kooky subliminal marketing. The, the level of it's everywhere. what we're being sold and why and how, it's, it's drastically changed. It's five layers below yeah. the conscious mind. And that's why you have to constantly be analyzing the shit and talking about it right. on a podcast because otherwise you don't know what you've seen here. It, it takes a whole collective hashtagging save our children. Yeah. Uh, you know, and whatever political affiliation there is to that, I could give a rat's There's no political to yeah. save our children. I don't care what race you are, what color. I don't care if uh, you're a Democrat or Republican. A child's life matters. God bless and you. And I'm going to tell you, mm, I was that child from six years old till 15 being molested that led me to think that now my body was anybody's mm. because now it was, I was getting my way. Mm-hmm. So when I was in going to school, I was given my body speaking. You're yes. saying you were getting what you wanted. Yes. So, oh, you so learned a currency messed. out of it. Early. Yes. Yes. Oh it messed God. with my mind because I'm thinking this is normal. So then when I started to go to the bars, I was I was been sexual for a very long time because it was implanted in me. Mm-hmm. So here I am, you know, um, my child's in the room. I'm watching my mouth, but um, <laughs> doing things in public restrooms that I shouldn't be doing. I'm in cars. I was dating older men to get my bills paid. And then it led me into prostitution and because it's it was normal. And then I finally got into being a stripper and accidentally had a pimp. And it took that pimp choking me in front of my children, almost killing me in my sleep to say, there's something wrong with this lifestyle. Mm. And I had to literally like start going to therapy and reprogramming my mind that this is not normal. We're not supposed to be side chicks. We're not supposed to be sugar babies and, you know, use your beauty for something different. You are more than your legs. What is in between your legs and your body? Mm. You're Mm. more than that. Mm. But it took me 15 years of self-destruction and being at my lowest of wanting to commit suicide to realize that I should have never been raped. I should, I was raped by three men when I was like 20. Mm. So being molested and raped, it was normal. And I had almost every single one of my friends had been molested. That is sad. Yeah. And none of them are in jail. None right. of them. Uh. So America's got to wake up. Because if it was your daughter or your niece, because that's what these pedophiles do. Oh, if it's my child, it's an issue. But when it's somebody else's child, it's free game. The hell is not. Yeah. I think probably the whole world needs to wake up to this. Yeah. Because it's not limited to our country. But I'll tell you that our country could do a lot to fix something like this. If Come they, on. If we, really, we have the, 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 the problem Anytime this stuff starts getting politicized, the first thing I think about is why are any of us complaining there? This this is a nation where everybody has some. Let's just take for a second. Let's just for a second. Okay. There's there's 350, uh, 300, 300 million people here. Uh, I think it's 75 million. So we're going to say 200 million adults. Right. Uh, why it will fact check us on all this stuff later. That's why we. That's why we keep. <laughs> uh, but in all of these people, one dollar, you have now fixed a cause. Come on. One freaking dollar. Now, I won't discount the fact that probably 
50 million Americans would struggle per day to find one dollar. Mm. And and now we really start to speak to the root of all of this because mm-hmm. I mean this is about working with our hands. Yeah. This is about you know let's just imagine for a minute that that um you know 16 year old Tashi. I'm mm-hmm. going to try to avoid S's cuz I really hiss them into this thing, don't I? Mm-hmm. Uh, 16 year old Tashi comes into the, the, the big brothers, big sisters program and somebody comes along and, and intervenes and says, Oh, you've you've slept with this many people by 16. Uh, okay, let's go get some ice cream. Boom. And done. And now you're just on a different road. You're on the road. Exactly. One person intervening in one life for one day could make a difference. And, and really once you do it, it, it doesn't take much. It sounds like such a big undertaking, but, you know, once or twice a week, you're seeing somebody that you begin to care about. And, you know, I'd, I just think involvement is, is right. what we're really going for here. Well, and I speak up. You no, know, I don't care where I am. I don't care where I am. And I talk to children with respect. I talk to little girls with respect when I see them. But I'll be in a park when I see, you know, I'm going to use terms that these kids use these days. Ratchet. I say, hey, sweetheart. Come here, let me talk to you. I saw two girls hanging on a stop sign, pretending it to be a stripper pole. And I just walked up. There was how many cars driving past and nobody said anything. Mm. So it's important to be that voice and say, sweetheart, somebody could have stalled you. Somebody could have beat you up and raped you and you would have never seen your mother again. Mm. And the look on her face was sure terror. And I wasn't trying to scare her, but I said, I want you to be safe. And she was just like, okay, she lives by me. She's never been on that pole again. Well, and see, there you go. I mean, she lives by you. It's it, yeah. It's a neighbor who saw a kid. I, I, we recently saw this online video of a brother who attacked his brother, who's a political figure. Mm. And the, the, the community that follows this political figure seemed very quick to dismiss the brother for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just think that that's kind of what, where everything goes wrong because I chose instead to get involved with this brother and I've done a few things to, to begin to help him out. Wow. And he didn't really want anything. I don't think he's the person he's being portrayed to be so that the political brother can run away from it. Right. But it just for this guy is taking one person coming involved for this child in your neighborhood. It just took one person being involved for a second to shift at least her thinking on being on a pole. Now here's a funny sidebar I'll give you. I, I owned a women's fitness studio for a while. Okay. And we did pole fitness, aerial silks, and yoga. Right. And and this is this is a key here. Women have a real opportunity, and I can't wait. I'm going to reopen the studio again because at, at one point I had about 400 members, and I would watch these women come in, and, and they weren't in right. stripper, like being Some being shorts sexy, and a tank top, right? yeah. They exactly. They came in in like earth tone grays and blacks and whites, ready to work out stuff. And it's funny because it shouldn't surprise anybody that women show up to work out in workout clothes. Right. But for some reason, it's profound that they might show up in a workout studio. So one of my biggest fights there was actually the stigma of the pole itself. And so I think women have a, an incredible opportunity with that because pole fitness goes back 10,000 years. Mm-hmm. They started this with kind of this big, it looked like a tree trunk at the bottom and it would get narrower as it went to the top. 
And then it had a ball, like a bed knob on the top. Okay. And they sort of used that to climb up and down and swing. And it was just completely aerobic and athletic. And they would perform. I mean, they still do pole performances and all this stuff. But I saw it be so empowering Mm -hmm. to so many women that I, I can't imagine a better way to take that back. Could you imagine if suddenly this country had a bunch of... So here's one program I actually ran. I, I ran a program where if you would trade me your sheriff working card, that, mm. the, the card that allows you to work in the cabaret, I would give you a free membership for a year, which would include the instructor training. Mm. So I would literally train you and put you to work. Wow. Making a wage that's livable. Because, right. I mean, they were getting 16 16 an hour for just the reception part and 30 an hour for teaching classes. Yeah, it was it was an easy one to make livable. But I would love to see a movement of women, you know, women taking the poll back. I think that's a very powerful, you know, symbolism. I think it's a very powerful actual statement. Uh, To me, it says we're going to take our bodies back. I loved it. And and I I hope something like that occurs. Right. I mean, it is a good way to get fit. You know, it really is. Um, I know my intentions when I moved to Vegas, I found classes just like that to learn. No, I didn't use it in a good way, (laughs) but I I found those classes because they teach you things. Uh And so I said, oh, I'm going to learn how to climb the pole. I'm going to learn how to do this. And I saw I could pinpoint who the dancers were in that class and who was there to get fit. Mm-hmm. I could tell off top, mm-hmm. you're here to go be a dancer. You're my competition. You're my comp, <laughs> and, and you just here to work out, sis. You go ahead. <laughs> so, because uh, you can spot them, yeah. you know, I can spot yeah. a dancer a mile away. Yeah. And so, but I would love it just to be yes, just to work out because yeah. your arms get buff. I'm telling you, that was the ship. The the I can't even say that word right now. The <laughs> fittest I have ever been in my life. I understand it, and it does wonders for men. That's the best part of it. Is I yeah. was in there going nuts. And the silks and the yoga just stretch you out. And it just, yeah. It's it's really, I can't wait to reopen that. I, I'm not sure Good. how many sidebars so far to it, but man, I'd, I'd really think that that's a, a fun way to, to right. do it. I'm glad you had an experience that makes it make sense to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, listen, I guess, tell me a little bit more about the book now. Let's kind of circle back to where we began. Okay, so we went into so you were telling us about your childhood and then we went really deep save our children talk. But then you started started to sort of get into where I think you were getting into like adult living. And okay, so um, because of growing up in a toxic environment, which those people don't even realize how toxic they were, because Mm -hmm. what I learned now as an adult is don't let anybody take your truth. What happened to you was what happened to you. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to attack them. I just don't let them steal what I've said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but that's what happened. Yeah. You don't have to yell to get your point across, right? Like, I'll just say, don't argue with stupid. Yeah, that's funny. And I I, I think what I really, really take away most from that is there is a truth, one truth that exists. And it may look different to you than it does from the person's other angle. And that's why what can't happen is they can't start convincing you yeah. that you saw what they saw. Right. That is where the my truth thing is even born from is because, wait a second, my truth, which is the truth from this angle, mm-hmm. is different than your truth, mm-hmm. which is the truth from that angle. Unless somebody's lying. 
Right. Which is different altogether. That's yeah. Your truth, not your not your white lie, not your half lie. Uh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. your truth. And a lot of people when I went to therapy, um, my therapist told me people don't want to say sorry mm. because that's admitting that they did something wrong. And a lot of people don't they don't want to admit that they mm. did something. So you got to learn how to get through in life without that sorry. Yeah. You got to learn that I'm okay in my truth, in my healing, and I don't need your justification, your why you did it. I can go on with life yeah. and I can turn the whole cycle around. I'm just a strong believer in you went through things for a reason, but are you going to make all of these bad things just eat you up inside? Or are you now going to use it for your empowerment and say what the devil tried to kill me with? <laughs> I'm going to now speak up and be stronger. You know, the depression didn't kill me. The suicide, you know, didn't work. The rapes, everything didn't work. Yeah, so now said. what is my job in life? Yeah. You know, like why, why, why did this happen to me? And not like why poor me, but now what am I supposed to do? What do I do with it. Because yeah. I'm coming to women because I've been you. Uh-huh. I've been the girl who just thinks that it's okay to be the side chick. I was mar- uh, not married. I'm sorry. I was dating a policeman in the military for five years. Mm. This policeman was punching me in the back of the head, dragging me out of my house, stealing my money. He had a whole wife, but I wanted to be loved so bad because I never felt love in my life. Right. Like I just never felt love from anybody. Here's this man with beamers looking nice. And he was like, don't listen to the streets, you know, listen to me because if I ever done you wrong. And in the beginning, I'm like, no. And so I started questioning, well, you got a wife like, no, I love you. Shut up. Yeah. And, and, and so you oh. as women, we just let our minds get shut down. Well, he says he loved me. He, he says that, you know, he's going to take care of me. Girl, what is he really showing you? Mm. Don't just listen to the words that come out of people's mouths. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and so I had to learn four years of that. And I mean, people knew that he was a policeman. My neighbor knew he's dragging me outside, screaming, stomping on my head. Uh. And the neighbor comes out. Oh, grandma and is like, I'm going to call the police. He says, I am the police B word uh. and throws a rock. She never called the police. Oh my God. So here I am just my, my little body. I was only like 120 pounds then and just beat up. And then the next day he took my rent money. He said, well, you got to come out here to get your rent. He just held my hand all day long. Like he just didn't do all of that. And I was like, what am I doing? And just four and a half years of that because I didn't love myself. Yeah. I had to start loving myself. I had to look in the mirror and say, you are not that broken girl anymore. That's how you began. Just straight looking. Okay. Yeah. Tell I had me to look on the that. inside. How did you find you? Oh my gosh. So I am a woman of faith. Okay. So um, um, people want to call it spirituality and there's just something out there. You know, I just believe there's a God. All right. But I got so low. Everything in my life was just gone. And um, I was just like, something's got to change. So I started to put myself into different seminars. I started to listen to positive things because we listen into all this depression. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say artist names, depressing music. It sure. makes you stay depressed, yeah, 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 you yeah. know? And so I had to now listen to stuff that was like uplifting yeah. and, and I had to be okay with crying it out. 
I started to cry it out and I didn't feel like no punk, you know, to, to cry. Uh-huh. Like I went through some stuff. I got to heal. I got to deal with this. I can no longer suppress. Amen. So I started to write a list of things that I no longer wanted in my life. I got to uproot it. Right. Cause yeah. we're sugarcoating it all, but we got to come from the root and pull the whole weed out. Huh? So I started to write a list and I focused only on one thing at a time of what I wanted to change in my life. My friends, they wanted to stay in the same life. I had to change my friends. I had to change my number. I had to get my num- my name off of all these dating sites because I wanted to be the different person. I started to focus on how do I get better? And keeping yourself in the same situations is repeating the cycle. It's the definition of insanity. You're doing the same thing over and over, but you want a different result. We got to stop being crazy. We got to get off our own merry-go-round because a lot of times we're stopping self. Mm. We're Mm -hmm. stopping ourselves. We're blaming everybody else around us, but we got to wake up and say, I got to do it Yep. because those people around you are there to drag you down. My spirit, my body, Come on. my responsibility. Yes. Always. Yes. And, yes. And that's, you know, that's what we develop systems for to try to determine if somebody else has a culpability to us. But ultimately, we find ourselves in the situations we put ourselves in. Uh, even you know, my dad, my dad was shot and killed in his home. Wow. And in a roundabout way, you know, when I spoke with my uncle about it, he's an incredibly wise man. I, I said, how are you feeling about this? And just trying to feel my family out for what they. Yeah. Uh, he said, you know, I think that uh, most people know to some degree how they're going to go. Mm. And it was it was pretty profound because if you really think about it, the guy who knows he's eating way too much salt is he knows where his heart's going come on the, right the guy who knows mm-hmm. now what my dad was famous for was inviting anyone and everyone in mm. he really wanted to be a healer for people but he himself wasn't fully healed either come on and so he invited someone in that, that took his life and jesus that person was just much further along than him and he was so we we sort of uh, have no choice but to accept responsibility for ourselves on some degree, even right. when, like in that case, somebody else did it. I mean, this guy yeah. went out of the house, walked three blocks to get a gun, and then came back to, to shoot him. Wow. This is a choice, right? Yeah. Now, this man serves many prison terms consecutively, and that's his choice. And somebody asked me one sec on a side note. Do you feel like justice occurred? I said, how do, how do you think that? I right. see only two destroyed families, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good time. Wow. You know, it's, uh, and, and I'm far enough along many, many years later that I can say that without feeling broken up about it now like I used to. Yeah. But, but we have to take responsibility on a truly deep level if we mean to, to weed the root. Yes. As you said. Yeah. I just agree. Wow. Well, you're a pleasure to have in here. Thank you. I would never have known you lived the life. If I saw you walking on the street, I'd have been like, here's a nice teacher lady. Or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm yeah. happy I don't look like what I've been through. Yeah. Um, I got my teeth, you know, my mm-hmm. face isn't sunken in because <laughs> like, I should just be in some crazy rehab 
Like, I really should. I should have lost my mind in some of the situations. Um, I'm also disabled. I'm legally 42% disabled. My goodness. Um, yeah, so that's my hand. Yeah, tell me about that. Okay, what, what so I have, um, I was working at a factory. And I'm not going to say, because I got out of the stripping and the prostitution and all this stuff. So let me get a legit job, you know. Uh-huh. And I got that job. And um, I was dealing with a lot of stuff internally. Can I side? Hold on, I'm gonna go back a little bit. Yeah, so, because I kept getting molested and raped and beaten by men. Pause for a second. Mm-hmm. If anyone out there is actually listening to this, I really want to isolate the word kept. It's very important that as a culture, we realize that someone just used the word kept mm. in regards to to their their abuse yeah i kept being abused uh please continue wow that hit me when you said that because it was my normal and we got to stop thinking it's normal it's a big reality yeah that really hit me yeah Mm. i'm i am beyond impressed with, with where you're at because we have two choices as people when we find ourselves where you ultimately do. Mm-hmm. And, and those choices are we can self-correct. Yeah. Or someone's going to come along and correct us. Mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes it's a mixture of both. <laughs> yes. You chose to self-correct. You found your insanity. You turned it into a book. Yeah. That's why people should read this book. It's not it's not just another story. Mm. These are not just another person's story that we're reading about. This is this is somebody who unlocked the way to turn their path around. Mm-hmm. To hear you credit Jesus is is incredible. Is, did you say Jesus or I sure did. Yes. I'm going to take this moment because I didn't know you prior to yesterday right. talking on the phone. Mm-hmm. And. You came in and, and I asked about your process mm-hmm. and I sort of was specific in that because I went through something similar. Um, mm. I was a bit on the opposite end. I, I was I was the aggressor. I was the one who was now I never, never got into the types of things that you went through. So I do not want to have any disrespect right, for right, the right. gravity of what you lived. Right. I, I just was violating relationship. Right. Once I got what I wanted, I was good. Mm-hmm. And I let somebody know, oh, you know, maybe I'll tell you, talk to you in a decade or so yep. when like I'm broken and I have to come apologize. <laughs> uh, but at the time, you know, I just I ripped through anyone and anyone I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, and I became sort of known for that, rightfully so. And it's been a decade going the other way for me now. Good. But when it began for me, I was living with some people who just it's like you said people pose as your friends especially when you're kind of posing as their friend yeah and that really coalesces into something i mean there's a couple of the guys i used to be around that i really have deep love for that once it was all separated i went okay that was a friend and that's just a friend i hurt yeah there were a couple where i was like well i'm sure you're still out there living a tough life because you didn't really demonstrate any desire to change right but these men I was living with, these two guys, um, they they were sort of messy. 
Mm-hmm. And they had grown to the point where they knew that I was the guy that cleaned up the messes and bought the groceries and stocked the weed up and whatever yeah. it was that people were doing. Yeah. So when I really started to go through my fall, mm. because I was I was having a ton of success. I, there wasn't anywhere I could go in town. I mean, I I went into the Harris Steakhouse and Bong would say, oh, Brandon, come on in. Yeah. Who are you with today? Come sit. Have your Do you want your, you know? Anywhere I went, it was like that because when you have something people want, come on, man, they're your boy. Mm-hmm. So, so the house would start getting real messy, and I just trying to clean it and whatever, and and eventually you find yourself drowning in your stuff. So I, I would retreat from the kitchen and the living room and just be in my room. Yeah. Well, once that happened, my room started to get messy, and and I didn't really want to bitch about that. Yeah. So I retreated to my bathroom. And then my bathroom started to get messy. And I'm looking at, there's the two sinks in the, the mirror. And behind, there's another little tiny room that has the toilet. And I'm like, well, <laughs> do I want to live my life from that little box? Come on. Um, so I pulled my MacBook into the bathroom. And I set up my chair. And I turned on Redemption Song. Actually, I had a pivotal moment one time. I kind of glossed over, but I, when I looked at that little box of a toilet, I looked back at myself in the mirror and I had this Kurt Russell tombstone moment where I just was like, no, no, <laughs> I started actually shouting at myself. No, yeah. and it was like real. So when you said you started talking to yourself in the mirror. I, yeah. So I put redemption song on, on loop and I listened to it for about six months. Come on. Just direct. Over and over and over and over until it finally sunk in. And I was receiving, t- I mean, I was hiding from everybody. People I had money to, mm-hmm. business is falling apart. Everything's crumbling around me. I mean, it, it, it just, it's, it was destruction before my eyes. And yeah. as I'm <clears throat> taking these texts in and listening to the music, the next thing I started to do was just feel this general sense of positivity. Just feeling yeah. good. Like, oh, wait a minute. I don't have to live in this. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And. This step comes after I met my wife with another huge story that there's no reason to go into. But but the long and the short is I started writing down the lessons that I'd learn every day in my iPhone notes. Come on. So my notes suddenly had, I mean, I was literally putting the date and then each thing that I wrote down from that day. And that first year I was doing that, uh, we're talking about some really rudimentary stuff, like your first grade level lessons about how you treat your schoolmates. Come on. That seem to have gone out the window for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm writing these notes. And and about a year and a half of this goes by. And it had become consistent to the point where I had some friends say, well, yeah, this positivity thing was like cool at first. But like. Uh, they hate it, right? It. Yeah. You're really challenging my ego being nice, bro. Oh, it was brutal. So, so they started just kind of one by one fall off. Well, a year and a half into this, I realized now it's just me and my wife. And, and the kids that come with her, which they're not my blood, but I know my stardust when I see it. And so it's just our little unit. Yeah. And, and all these people had fallen off. And right about that same time, I started to take my lesson notes and type them into Google and say, you know, scripture about this. Yes. Scripture about that. And there were some times, more than a few sometimes, where what I had wrote, what I had written, that had come to for myself, not only lined up with scripture, but was 
verbatim. Mm-hmm. And it happened verbatim so often that I finally just went my, I mean, I've been a philosophical, do not buy the religious thing for many, many years, 33 years of my life of this. And, and around about 35, I had to just consciously acknowledge that I was actively being saved. Yeah. Can I say something? Won't you? So when you said religion, that's where people get it twisted. It's not religion. It's just about having that relationship with God. It's relationship. What he can do with you, what he can do through you, what has he done for you? People get so focused on religion. And that's where people are like, oh, we, you know, we have to pray this way. We have to do this. We have to do that. You better stop the religion. I'm not yeah. saying don't go to a church, no, I hear you. but don't follow the pastor, yeah. follow Christ, follow God. We're not following people on this earth. Unless the pastor is also following God, by all means. Follow right, right, right. But it's like, if the pastor jump off the, the ship, are you going to jump off? I totally hear what you're saying. So it's, it's relationship. It's, so go ahead. Sorry. You're so spot on. It's, it's as individual as a fingerprint. Come on. And, and that's why. God, you just have to have your own. That's all. You know, there's yes. a great, a great strip, uh, a story in the Bible that now, now mind you, it's, it's so great that you said this. I, I don't read the book a ton. Okay. I read it when it comes up into my wheelhouse somewhere. Cause okay. that's how I interpret that. He's trying to speak to me. Yeah. I, in a way feel like he sort of isolated me from reading it up until now and is is sort of introducing me in the way he wants me to see it now you're ready so jesus comes down and begins to divide the flock okay lambs goats Mm -hmm. lambs go with me goats so there's this faction of goats that sort of comes up to jesus and they say hey we've haven't we lived in your image every step of the way we've preached your word and told other people to to follow and and he looks back at this this goat speaking and, and he says depart from me come on or i have never known you come on you have to know him that's that's what he asks uh i don't you know i tend to turn interpret about i've heard a lot of people say to me oh i don't need some god telling me what to do i don't think that the bible commands us at all to be honest, I think what the Bible commands is how it is. Mm-hmm. If a husband comes home to his wife in bed with another man, that husband is going to fucking snap. <laughs> that is how it is created. Mm-hmm. That is the feeling that is created in that person. Now, if you would put yourself into being the other man in that scenario, we have now found that root thing we were talking about a little bit ago. Yeah. Where you have to take responsibility for that. And it's not that the Bible is saying it's okay for a husband to kill a guy in that, but the Bible is saying it's possible. You should be aware of it, you know? So that's kind of how I think. I think a lot of people are turned off by somebody else that was trying to push faith on them rather than faith itself. Yeah. I mean, I hated God for a long time because I grew up, um, can I say the religion? I think you can say anything you want. It's your Okay, cool. I grew up Mormon and I was like, God ain't real growing up. And because all this stuff was happening to me, I was being molested. I was this, I was that I was being beat. Like who is God? And I'm in church every Sunday. Yeah. And, but they don't know that I have like bruises on my back and on my butt, you know? Yeah. And so I got turned off from it very early 
on. And then it was until my late 20s is when I was like finding who he was for me and not focusing on a religion. So, yeah. I think that's very powerful what you're saying because Mm -hmm. that's another one where we have to identify, save our children. Yes. We must understand what, even at that level, your very relationship with the God you reconnected with for yourself Come on. was damaged because of these things happening because God isn't reaching them or they're not reaching God. Mm-hmm. And you were going through things at an age where there's no possible way that you could have known to, to reach back or, right. I mean, how could you even, there's no, what you went through breaks my heart on levels that mm. I can't even describe into this microphone. I don't know how to to articulate what I'm saying, and I, I'm losing it. I'm so glad that I can look at you mm. so that you can understand me right now. And I, I just, I thank you for what you've been through to sit here with us today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sad about it anymore. Mm. And I'm glad that I can get to this point and speak and be a voice because there's so many women and men. I know men who have been molested as well. Mm. And people don't talk about that side. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't. And what I was about to say earlier was because of the things that kept happening in my life. Um, this is no disrespect to anybody and what they choose. OK, but this is just me. Um, I hated men. So therefore, I went with women mm-hmm. because there was an identity crisis inside of me. Mm-hmm. I thought if I was dating a woman, you can't molest me. You can't beat me because, look, we two females. What's up? Mm-hmm. You know, and so mm-hmm. that's how I was living my life, because it was like I felt safer. Mm-hmm in that aspect. And then later on, when I really started to get into church and my pastor knew people knew, but they never spoke it to me. It was when I was saying, this is identity crisis in me. I thought I was taking the easier route Mm -hmm. of living as a lesbian, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's not, I wasn't truly happy living that lifestyle. I had to learn that not every man is going to beat me. Not every man is going to rape me. Not every man is a monster. And it, it was that reprogramming that I then had to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm happy that I reprogrammed, like, you know. Well, and I think that's a, there's a key difference there, too, because you're illustrating the difference between what it looks like when someone attempts to choose a lifestyle versus yes. those who are actually born with a disposition. For right. It. And, and they're, they're, it, you, it's like you said, when you go into a pole class, you know, the dancers you know the fitness. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we have in terms of our own sexuality because yeah. real just recognizes real. The kids already said so. Is that still a thing? Do kids still say real recognize real? No. no. She's like, what is that well, old man? Like I she she clowns it. me. She's like, <laughs> Mom, do you watch stuff in black and white? Like, are you that old? I'm like, actually, there was some stuff. So <laughs> hater. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good to know that 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 phrase comes from our world of yeah because because that's what it is and and that's it's only important to the self right right? it doesn't recognize i have no business attempting to recognize the difference between someone who's choosing and someone who's born Mm -hmm. i don't care about that difference if you're happy i'm happy baby yeah but when it comes down to the self Mm. the self must be able to say no, this actually isn't for me because sometimes people make that kind of a choice and yeah. it's a big choice to make mm-hmm. and they sort of force themselves to live with it. 
Yes. I saw some friends go through that. I, I had a, a friend who was a, a bartender that worked for me, and she was very, very adamant that she was gay, and that was it. That was me. She is so married to a man now. and Yeah. It, and is totally backwards. So it's about that realization for yourself. Yes. At, because I loved her in both ways. This person. Right. My, my friend. You yeah. Know. Uh, so, but yeah, I think that's. Yeah. But it, it just shows. I mean, I even know a man who was molested for a very long time and he lived a gay lifestyle until he started to seek counsel and say, I really wasn't gay. It was because I was used to this behavior. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so now he's out of it mm -hmm. and he, you know, he doesn't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. You know, if you, I, I love you just the same, yeah. but um, I'm happy now that he knows his true identity and mm -hmm. who he is and not masking who he thought he was because of a horrific act that occurred. And it, it goes the other way too, doesn't it? Cause this isn't, I mean, this behavior isn't about just our sexuality. This spans Everything. Yes. The same guy that can be molested could potentially grow up and be Mr. Machismo, wants to fight everybody, yeah. totally masculine. It's a totally different dynamic yeah. what that kind of abuse does and where it sends us. It affects it, everybody differently. A hundred percent. Yeah. And the, and the trauma, once we sort it, we really figure out who we are and what we're made of. Because yes. that's, that's what it's about. I mean, yeah. and yours is a, a wonderful story. Thank you. So uh, we were starting to talk a little bit about the difference of shame and blame. And and it's really a distinction I made. And so I don't want to put words in your mouth and I'll, I'll let you sort of answer. But I feel like. Uh, excuse me, I said shame and blame, but I mean guilt and shame, which yeah. are two drastically different things. Uh, guilt is something that that is is very toxic, I think, for us to hold on to, whereas shame, I think, is more something that we should embrace. When we've done something wrong, if we feel guilty about it, that's going to lead to a number of other wrong behaviors. If we feel shame about it, that's where the steps begin of accountability and responsibility and, and consciousness and enlightenment and awareness come from. Uh, and so you were, you were beginning to talk about how you felt ashamed in, in what was, what you were going through and you couldn't, couldn't talk to people about that. I'm so glad that, uh, because that thought completely left my mind. And so I was like, oh, I, I forgot what I had said. But <laughs> so, yeah, I got to a point. Um, I was ashamed of who I was um, and I didn't tell people. So if you want to call it a liar, I guess I was a liar because I just made stuff up because I didn't want people to know the truth about me, mm. that uh, I was out here being a prostitute, that I was out here stealing your husbands. You know, mm. I had many boyfriends and husband, well, husband boyfriends that were married, mm -hmm. um, flying in to see me, flying me out to go see them. And I didn't care. And so I would just disappear for a weekend. I, and finally I'm to this point where I'm a new creature. I'm a new person. So I'm just going to tell on myself. So mm. nothing can just come out in the wash later because it's just who I was. It's not who I am because yeah. we can move forward. Right. We don't have to be held to your you're an addict. No, I'm not anymore. Mm. You're mm -hmm. this. No, I'm not that. And what was the response from people as you began to tell them these things you were going through? It was 
pleasantly like welcoming because they saw the realness, the rawness. And it's like when you talk to people, you're like, I think something's off, you know, like. Eh. And so um, one of my mentors, Dr. Mason, was just like, be who you are. Because now you're like the better version of yourself, right? <laughs> you're refined. You're sifted. You got all the dirtiness out. Sifted. Yes. Oh, sifted. That's a good you one. know, it's like you get the, the dirt and you try to find the gold and you're shaking, yeah. shaking, shaking. And now yeah. it's like you're left with little nuggets. Uh -huh. And so I got sifted. So all the negative stuff is out. And so my story isn't for everybody. Uh -huh. But my story is for 99.9% .9 of women. Yeah. And yeah. so me being honest and truthful, I just hope that other women now can be like, hey, I'm her or I was her and she's happy and healed and doing her thing. I want to be I want to do that, too. And I think women will benefit on a number of levels, because one thing you mentioned is that these men were flying you around. Oh, yeah. Doing. I mean, this is a lot of money we're talking about. Uh -huh. And as a wife, if I start noticing a seven hundred dollar United Airlines flight that you didn't go anywhere, I might want to ask a question or two about that. Uh -huh. And I think those kinds of questions could really lead to a reduction in the behavior across the board. Uh, they need to, yeah. Um, I'm not happy about that life, but I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Because a lot of times what these men will do is pull large sums of money out in cash. Uh, they don't swipe their credit cards and their yeah. debit cards. They're going to give me the money to go buy the hotel and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I got flown to Cuba for a couple weeks. I've getting Whoa. flown to San Diego for a couple weeks. I've had people from Virginia fly in and spoil me all weekend long. And this tells me that we're dealing with people at a level who have the kind of money that that sort of cash can disappear from their life and their spouse doesn't even see it, doesn't care at all, doesn't even see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's wild. I mean, that's a wild behavior. How far uh, a man might go, but it came with a price. Yeah. Um, I always I said it in my book, and no, I normally I don't curse, but I'm gonna use this word. I said I became the bitch that listened because I would pay attention to the type of man, and I would sit there and did you? Because I'm Puerto Rican. Did you want me to cut up my accent? Or do you want me to sit here and be quiet and just be the cute candy? Because men like different things. So I learned how to play on different men. And I also learned that when I was stripping and also being a phone sex operator. Yeah. So I learned how to decipher what that man wanted. Well, you're speaking something incredibly interesting now because Shakespeare already told us mm -hmm. the world is a stage. Yeah. We are but roles. You have broken the role down so far yeah. in this lifestyle that that role had roles. Yeah. And, and now that just really speaks to how, you know, husbands start having double lives. Wives start having double lives. People start having double lives. Right. Uh, because we are breaking ourselves down into these compartments. And it seems to me that part of what you've done here is to decompartmentalize that yeah well and why would i care if you had a wife because all i had to do is yeah. pick up a phone and say oh my gosh you know my rent and oh my gosh this and all oh, my nails or my kids shoes and i didn't just get stuff for me paid for my mm -hmm. kids wore nike my kids wore adidas and tommy hill figure and all of that so i don't care 
Because all day at work, while your husband's at work, he's texting me. Mm. He's sending me money. He's coming to see me at my job mm. or, you know, sending me trips. Mm-hmm. And at one point I had another side chick call me. She didn't call the wife. She called me because I was her competition and messing with her money. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, I hated myself that much where I thought I couldn't get my own man. Yeah. You know, because this lifestyle isn't fun to you're texting me during the day. You're going to come hook up with me. But every night I'm alone. Mm. And that starts to weigh on you. And then you start seeing the man. Cause you know, we're stalkers, right? Women are professional, like <laughs> FBI agents. And I would catch my, my boyfriend who had a wife at another girlfriend's house. I threw the milk on his car. I threw the muffins and you got a beamer. It's like, don't touch my car. Yeah. And I was always competing. I even went to his wife and tried to like rah, rah and fight with her. And I'm like, man, this isn't my lane. Yeah. Who was I to tell the wife anything? You know something my wife says to me sometimes? Women are very mean to each other. Yeah. I, I, I think it's very noticeable. I, I, when she said it, I started to, to become aware of it. When she goes into a restaurant, women will look her up and down and not in a nice way. Yeah. And and when you see this, you kind of go, well, well, you're in a culture of your own. So not only do we have all these dangerous elements and predatory people yeah. and men who will spend countless dollars for whatever momentary yeah. uh, motivation that 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 their sexuality wants in, in that entire dynamic. The part that's lost is women need to stick together. And that's what I do now. And I'm happy that. I went through all that. So now I can tell a lot of these younger women and older women, like it's not the life I see girls now. And I'm like, Hey girl, I like your outfit. And I just flip it around. We can speak, you know? Um, I don't want your husband. I promise. Like, you know, and when men try to approach me, I'm like, no, sir. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I'm just, my daughter's like, mm-hmm, cause I'm ruthless now, <laughs> you know, stay with your wife. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't support that lifestyle. Yeah. I don't, um, I feel bad for women. I really do. Because a lot of these men that I was with, their wives still don't know. Mm-mm. They, they have no clue. Yeah. And it's, um, it's very sad that I subjected them to that pain and that turmoil. Some of them did know about me. And they're still with that husband and that husband is still with other women. And I'm just like, wow, we got to love ourselves. We got to do better. Wow. Yeah. I mean, powerful, powerful, because it speaks to a number of other issues and manipulations that that relationships come with. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not I can't sit and behave as though it's only men. It just in yeah. this case, what we're discussing is really, really, really uh, it's it's. It's the identifier, right? Yeah. The way that men manipulate relationships is just different from the way women manipulate relationships. Right. And and when you find these these manipulations like that, that's just really, really brutal and how you could be there and have the woman tell you and publish a book about it that takes a certain level of brokenness also. Yeah. And and I hope. I'm going to say a prayer for those women to be able to find themselves a little bit because you got to get out of that stuff. Yeah, it's just um, it's really damaging to yourself. Um, And at the time, I didn't even know I was self-destructing because that's exactly what I was doing. I was just there was 
five or four different men at a time that I was talking to and sending the pictures to. We we got to be careful, ladies. You don't just send pictures and videos and all of that to people. Stuff surface backs up. Hmm. You don't know what they've given your video to or, you know, it's like women are doing the most for every man. Hmm. Hmm. The most. I'm like, you guys are cooking for him. You're cleaning for him. And I'm not saying don't do that for your main guy. Yeah. But we're out here doing wifely duties to a not crap boyfriend. And we know he's not crap. You are so on with that because that's exactly the trap. That's the trap right there because it's what comes naturally. Yeah. To do, to nurture. And I'm not, I don't mean cooking and cleaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, but the nurturing spirit for your mate. And, and that's, you know. The, the real key here is we go back all the way to that that first graphic I drew for you, the, yeah. the confusion of relationship. That's kind of the crappy part about growing up in any way. You meet somebody, you know, I can't tell you how many times a, a woman would just be really nice to me. And I'm not talking about like the bartender server that's yep. like paid to be nice, but I'm talking like just sitting talking to somebody and they'd be super nice. And I would just interpret that as interest. Yeah. So suddenly I'm like, well, I'm interested too. And I'm Come like, on. Yeah, you want to hang out? Well, I, I wasn't really thinking that, but maybe I do. I don't know. Maybe I got to think about it. But don't take time to think about it. Let's just do it. Right. It just starts to swirl that confusion of relationship. Yeah. it's We're crossing those boundaries. And as women, we need to know what our boundaries are. I don't just go to a guy's house anymore. That's my boundary. Mm. We can sit in public and we can have some tea or whatever and hang out, but I'm going to go home my way mm -hmm. because see, we men will play that trick and women too. I'm too drunk to drive home. I'm just going to sleep over at your mm -hmm. house. And I found myself so many times having to sleep with this man because I'm too drunk and I can't drive myself home. So now it's like, oh my gosh, he's expecting this or, you know, mm -hmm. and I put myself in those type of positions and I, there was no boundaries. Now that's the part that I really had to learn for myself mm -hmm. because there you start to get into the territory of power imbalance. Yeah. And this is how it happens. Men to women too. I mean, they may, the, the movie horrible bosses makes a hilarious joke of Jennifer Aniston having all the power over her, her little guy that I forget that guy's name, but he's pretty funny, but just sexually abusing this guy and assaulting him the whole movie. Yeah. And flipping the script on that to really highlight it. But that power imbalance can be so very subtle. You know, it, it can be like what you're describing where you've got like a, a pimp relationship there or it can yeah. be a boyfriend relationship that you're not ready to have a boyfriend. I mean, these things are so they're so subtle sometimes. In my case, um, you know, it's like I said, I was I was the guy. If you wanted to go out in the world of going out, you had to know me. Yeah. And just that. Just that is a power imbalance that I had no awareness of. Mm. Every time a woman was around me and showed the slightest bit of interest, I thought it had to do with me. Have you met me? Nobody wants to hang out with me <laughs> that way. Uh, but I tease, uh, you know, that power imbalance, it, it's, it's a brutal thing. And, and once it's created, the person who's in that role will do anything to Come keep on. it there consciously or subconsciously i had men i just treated them like puppets i did mm. i there was ones that i was like quote unquote in love with you know we love everybody these days i just mm. throw around that word so loosely but um then i was treated like a puppet and then i it was a game yeah 
And yeah. I, it was like, well, I don't want to be hurt anymore. So I was like, build up this cold wall. Yeah, yeah. I'm so not going to have feelings. Hurt. Yeah. Mm. Toxic people hurt people. Mm. Broken people hurt broken people. You can't fix anything because we're all just a mess. But also, why are we running into relationships? Mm. Do you even know who you are at 18 years old? Because I didn't know who I was. Why do you have to just jump? I have to be a, I have to have a boyfriend. I have to have a girlfriend. Know who you are single. Mm. Who are you? Yeah. Because you know who you are. You think you know who you are in this relationship. Yeah. But you don't. You're just molding into him. Yeah. You know? And that's kind of the way, in a weird way, that's interesting too. Because now we're really getting to like the roots of our humanity. Because as yeah. kids, we have to reflect in other kids yeah, to even know what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watch my daughters adopt their friends' behaviors and styles and things all the time. Mm-hmm. And some of it fits and some of it doesn't. And yeah. you sort of see that, that fall away. Uh, but you speak to uh, really another good point. I mean, it goes, it's the Cardi B thing where at some point the script flips <laughs> and you go, okay, I'm going to just start giving you drugs that knock you out and picking your pockets and yeah. I'm out of here. Hey, yeah, the game is what it is. And that's, that's the problem with the whole thing. If, if people don't take something away from what we're saying, don't play. It's not a game. It's not a game. Because even when I left my pimp, I was watching over my shoulder for a very long time. I was scared and People didn't know that I had a pimp. I told them I was just going to Vegas to be a cocktail waitress to make some money. And because I kept that part of my life secret. Who wants to do I'm stripper? You mm. know, um, they saw me and I looked different. I had the hair. I had the nails. I had the lashes. I had it all. And um, when I got back, I was so freaked out because this pimp would text me of different numbers and um and just always found me. It's like, I don't even know how. And I'm going to drive through your town. I'm going to kill you. I remember where you lived. And I was paranoid. Mm-hmm. It is not a real life you want to get into. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to take men from the strip club and take them into the hotel because it was more money. Mm-hmm. And there's some, I knew strippers who did that. They never came back. That is dangerous. Absolutely. I don't know how. I just by the grace of God that I'm alive. You know, I've had man after man climb in in a minivan to have sex Mm. for a couple hundred dollars Mm. and I'm I'm alive. You know, it's just like, but so many people, they're not. And you had more than a few experiences where you almost were not. Yes. Yes. You know, I've had my purse stolen. I had strippers wanting to fight me and just um, there was one instance where we were in a little dive bar on the strip. They sell like it's like a beer and a hot dog for like a couple dollars like yeah yeah. and um it was just full of pimps in there and working girls and my pimp was just very my pimp was a woman i should say that wow i should whoa because it happens it was a lesbian who looked like a man and um Yeah. About my build wasn't a big person. And when I found this person, I found him through social media and she was like, come work. You know, I told her some of my issues in my life and she said, come and work. Just come make some money and come make some money was I got your hair done. I got your shoes. I got your outfit. Now you owe me. Mm. And I was like, and I I was a fighter back then. I was, I'll slap you so quick and curse you out and drag you. And I was like, excuse me, you know, I don't have no pimp found out that she was a famous pimp in Las Vegas. She did hard time for pimping and for selling drugs. She did over 10 years. 
she looked younger than what she was. She was actually in almost her 50s. And she looked my age. I have to stop and marvel at what it would take to not only be a world-famous pimp, but a world-famous pimp out of the pimping capital of the world, Las Vegas. Yeah. That is up there with the scariest people I've ever heard about yeah. in my world. I was put in some dangerous situations. So people need to know that women will drag you into this life and I want to sell you. There was times she told me, um, I don't want to name drop anybody, but there's a famous man pimp in Vegas and he had like over 50 kids and stuff like this. Um, I was hanging out with his son and she would tell me, he's looking at you. I'm going to sell you. You better look down. So there was times I was with her and I just had to keep my head down because if I made eye contact, you could blow the sale or something. They're going to now you're sold. You're sold to this person. And and they were really just talking to me like that. And it was just me and her. And I was scared. I was in this dive bar. Many times I was just in coke houses and um, around just true, true gangsters. Okay, these little people, they're not gangsters. It's not fun to be a gangster and pretend to shoot up and sell your $20 worth of Coke. No, (laughs) it's not a game. So um, I was in this dive bar and and her friend came in who was also a pimp. Just kind of, there's levels to pimping, right? It's all wrong. It's all horrible. Um, And it was a, a lower level pimp. And he needed a ride and he had a full big old duffel bag and a full backpack full of drugs and guns. And my pimp is knocked out of sleep. And this man is like, come on, I'm going to take you. You're going to come work for me. And I was scared. I knew not to talk back. I knew not to do anything. I said, I got to drop this man off because I was scared for my life. He was going to take he you. was going to take me. And it was a big dude. It was like a six, five dude. And here I am, this little girl. And I was just like, I can't, don't go off, Tashi. Don't go off. Don't say nothing. Just shut up. And he was drunk and high. My pimp was knocked out when my pimp finally woke up because I was trying to wake her up. Like, hey, hey, you know, hey, hello. Like, do you hear this man? And she was just too drunk. And when she woke up, she started to literally spit in my face and well, you did something, you did this. And she's spitting in my face at a gas station, trying to slap me. I'm just crying. Cause I'm like, you don't even know. Like I was so low. This game is, 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 is real and it's scary. Isn't it a funny thing? How easy we call it a game because life is a game. Life yeah. is a stage, but it's a real, fun. we are never ever. I don't care what kind of city we live in. Yeah. We are never far away from the wild kingdom. Right. This is pure and simple. The jungle and technology will never, ever, ever change that. We live amongst ourselves. Yeah. What I just heard is deserving of that much dead yeah. air right there. Yeah. Because that was, I, I don't even know how to, to respond to that as a host. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I want to touch more in a strip club because it's popular right now, right? Everybody want a fake booty. Everybody want all this stuff. Um, money is an addiction. Mm. Fast money. I, there's times I've danced on famous people. I've made a couple thousand a night 
So when you got a when you make a couple thousand and now you're going to go work a regular job, that regular job does not fit your lifestyle anymore because I'm used to having stacks of money every night. But people come to strip clubs, strip club owner. You're expected to sleep with them. You're expected to sleep with the bouncers. Men try to slip their fingers up in you. Um, You're constantly violated. Uh, A lot of these strippers are on drugs. They're laid out in the back foaming from their mouth. And there's no health insurance in dancing. It takes a toll on your body. And it's so sad because I see the women in the back um, talking to their boyfriends, talking to their children. And they're a whole different. I was Lala. Lala was a whole different person. But as soon as I hit that step and I got so many drugs offered to me. Um, I had porn companies coming in and like trying to offer me and telling me my face wasn't going to be in videos. And I just thank God that I had enough sense not to. I didn't sleep with the bar people. I didn't do any of the drugs. Most of the times I wasn't even drunk at work. So I literally was just dealing with these creepy men um, masturbating. I'm just going to say the word. Uh, Yeah, yeah, because of me being on them Mm -hmm. and I mean, I had people in wheelchairs and with a dog and just just crazy stuff. You do crazy stuff to get that couple thousand. But if I didn't get that couple thousand, my pimp was going to just scream at me and curse me out and and threaten to sell me. Sell you. Sell me. Yeah. Uh, I am so sorry Mm. that you had to experience that. I am so sorry that that exists. I yeah. I'm shook because when you say words like creepy men, yeah, what I what I really understand about that is that every single one of us has creepy moments. Yeah. And it's in that creepy moment. What do we do with that? What am I going to do with that? Am I going to actually get up out of my chair and go down to the strip club and and become creepy on yeah. purpose. Mm-hmm. And even the guys that aren't there to be creepy, you know, I, I, I never really much cared for the strip club myself, funny thing. And right. I found myself there quite a lot in the life that I lived before because mm-hmm. I was always the guy that had the money and I had 12 guys around me that wanted to go out partying. Mm-hmm. So it was, where are we going to go? Well, what I started doing to combat going to the strip club because they always wanted to go there. Yeah is I would make them meet me earlier. I'd be like, all right, let's meet up at six. We'll eat dinner. Then we'll go to the casino. Yep. So my life sort of shifted from doing the strip club sizing. So I didn't like, it. I'd sit in there and there'd be 12 guys just having a great time. You know, Hey, I, can you give me your card? I got to go hit the ATM. Can I give you my card <laughs> to hit the ATM? Sure. Here we go. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Men are every bit as dumb. And in those moments, <laughs> They get there, right? Now, Now, the more of those creepy moments that a man indulges, mm-hmm. the more they become the creepy man that you're describing. Yeah. The one who's sitting in there multiple nights a week. Yeah. Doesn't care to spend 50, 60, 100 bucks a night because he has nothing else to spend that money on. Yes. And that is really 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 where we have to analyze our behaviors as as men yeah we must stop giving in to these small moments Mm -hmm. the small moments are what's going to define who we are inside 
Right. You know, um, even there, there's, since it's the whole save the kids, and I hope this is not a movement. I don't want to call it a movement. It needs to be, it needs to stay. All right. It needs to stay. But even the women in the strip clubs who are, they don't look developed. Okay. Mm. Flat chested, flat, butt. they need to stop their games. They're playing Mm. because those girls walk around the clubs with ruffle socks, with binkies, with the lollipop. Mm. And those girls get more money than any other girl in the club. Mm. It is sad. And they say, well, I'm saving children because these men are coming in here for me. Mm. You're playing into a sick fantasy. I knew a strip club DJ once. Mm -hmm. And he loved when the freshly 18, like on their 18th birthday, would show up for work and try to get a job. Yep. He made sure that it happened. And he dated and and had sex with yeah. many of those women. And I'm aware of two instances where it crossed the line. Yeah. One, you know, one the girl was 16, but here in mm-hmm. the state apparently that's okay. Uh, by the way, can somebody call the fucking state of Nevada and tell them that needs to change? I have a 16-year-old girl who has no fucking business dating a 42-year-old man. Come on. Now that I know what that looks like, I am thoroughly repulsed. It's it's abusive. It's disgusting. The, in that instance, the 16-year-old, he had known her since she was three. Stop it. If there ever was an instance of grooming, that's it. Grooming, yes. So you become aware of this stuff. Yep. But but what am I going to do? I, I It's my word against his in this moment until any of those girls ever want to say anything. Mm-hmm. And that's where you start running into these fruitless problems where some district attorney may or may not want to do something about something, but yeah. actually just decides, no, can't. And and I've seen it, you know, I forget the other guy's name, you know, the guy we just we just saw about who all of a sudden was kicked out of his band and lost all his jobs and he was real tight with the city. Uh, and some girl came out and just let it be known that he just power tripped her one night. And it was right. like a girl he'd been dating for a while and they weren't dating anymore and it was exactly the situation you described where they're they end up in bed together because yeah and she shot him down multiple times multiple times middle of the night he just makes his move anyway yeah right she's sleeping yeah i've had that happen so when she came out about that's the the general rule the general i don't know what you call that feeling of of people feeding it back was that uh oh you know they're both toxic so no, you know what I mean? And it's maybe that's true, too. Maybe she is toxic. But is that an instance where, like what are you saying exactly that this deserved to happen? Or is this just another one of those instances where we're talking about how the book says it just this is what is. And right. we need to make sure we don't find ourselves in that bed. I don't know. Right. Well, victims, survivors need mm-hmm. to come up because, you know, if it happened to you, how many other people did it happen to And the media doesn't want to do anything about it. The police doesn't want to do anything about it. Posting a picture. I've seen so many people now posting pictures of their abuser. And then all of a sudden you've got 10 other girls coming up and saying, oh my gosh, me too. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad to me because I was in an instant where I was online dating. I was a serial dater. And um, it was here in Reno, actually. And I found out now the guy is a social worker. 
Whoa. Yeah, I just found that out not too long ago. And um, I went on a date with him, ended up back in his house. He's doing some drugs. You know, he wasn't a social worker then or anything, but sure. still, um, I fell asleep and he was like, the next morning, uh, that night, he was like trying to have sex with me. And I'm like, well, I'm freaking stuck here. Like, what do I do? And the next morning, he said, you agreed to that. I didn't rape you. And you have when this you big, have to say it. Yeah. Like I six, five, becomes. big guy. And I'm just looking at him like, OK, OK, I, I got to go. I got to go. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about how many times yeah. you've already been dragged so it's like by the hair. Women, don't put yourself in that position. Yeah. I you know, and I'm not. So I should have been there and I should have been safe. Right. Well, I'll tell you something. I think this is a time we can recircle around because I don't I definitely don't want to go down the road. of should have been because should have been. I don't know, dude. I yeah. think you were trying to like this guy and you met him on a dating site and you're right. trying, you know, whatever it was, your motivation was mm-hmm. doesn't mean that right now ending up in the place. Yes. Could you analyze a behavior that exactly. maybe could make the situation different? Yes. But does that mean you need to own blame and accountability and these things? No, I, I don't think that's right. I don't, else. I don't necessarily blame myself, but Good. I mean, it was a one time thing and I'm already just going in your house. I don't know you. You could have been a serial killer. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a very sound takeaway from this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and I'll tell you, it comes back to what you said, people coming forward Yes. And even circles further to the beginning of this is how we cope with our shame. Mm. When we are feeling guilty. Yeah. I shouldn't have gone over there. It was my first time and it was his house. You are not going to speak about that instance because it's guilt and you're already taken. And that's why I say, yeah, I get it. And I think that's a good, healthy way to look at it. Yeah. But I don't want to pin the situation on that. What that dude did is stone cold wrong. Yeah. And, and so... When you get to that, uh, you know, feeling the shame of it is different Mm -hmm. because you go, fuck, I'm ashamed for going over there and Mm -hmm. take responsibility and I'm not going to do that again. And, you know, maybe I don't need to go make a a big federal case over this instance, but it certainly is a very painful learning experience for me. Right. Uh, So, uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, and you know when you say federal, when I was raped by three men, his his family members are tied into the police force. I don't want to say what type, but they are mm. tied into it. And I had called the um, because it was brutal. You know, it was three guys. I I believe that I was roofied. Mm. Um, I was just so drunk after one drink, it was just not normal. And I remember trying to climb away and, and just everyone having their way with me and just bruises on me and stuff. And I called the local um, healthcare clinic and I spoke to them and I said, this just happened. And, you know, when I started to give names and she kind of shut me up, she was like, oh, well, um, are you OK, though? And her whole mode switched because it would have been a big thing of who the again, family members isolating were. the word though. Yeah. Not are you okay? Yeah. Are you okay though? Yeah. Uh, there's a pattern to your stories. Yes. That also exists. I want to to address police officers in your stories. Yeah. Really seem to notice who you are, the life you led. Yeah. And they have a real inherent way of sort of just. uh, I don't even know how you describe that, just doing whatever they want, because no one's going to 
believe you, I guess. I'm, I'm not I felt sure. like that. I felt like I was the wild girl partying. Now I've never been arrested. I don't have any charges. Thank God. Cause I should have had a lot, but, um, God really likes you. I yeah. Think. Right. I was covered uh, even in my mess. I was covered and taken care of. Um, but I felt like I couldn't, who's going to believe me. Yeah. And I wrote that who would believe the partier. Who would um, believe me? Yeah. That's very relatable for me. Yeah. That's so, I was silenced. And why tell? Because it's normal. It happens. But it shouldn't be normal. And it shouldn't happen. And if more of us speak up and speak out, I truly believe that there will be uh, a slowing down. And, uh, slowing down of all of the, the crimes when it comes to women and children. Maybe they'll be scared enough to crawl back into their caves, you know? Yeah, I think some of that's exactly what's going on. Some of the Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you, I'm not sure how I would react to certain people that I know things like that now. Mm-hmm. Beforehand, maybe I'm a different, but, but I would have some pretty rough, it would be a lot to get, get through that. And uh, yeah. uh, now I, I want to say that I'm not a hate the police person. Yeah. You know, because I, I'm, it's it saddens me. Now, I'm not there's good people. There's bad people. Mm. There's good people in office. There's bad people in office. So just because I've been through all of this doesn't mean I hate a certain race or doesn't mean I hate um, certain uh, people who pick people. a career. Or yes. Yeah, careers, like because a lot of times, even in the military, I've dealt with a lot with the military men, chiefs, uh, senior chiefs, people like this and who have done stuff to me and paid me to do stuff. And I don't hate them. And I think that we need to not do that, mm. you know, not just hate the police. And yeah, because a police did one thing to me. Hate is definitely a response of guilt. Yeah. And I, I'm happy to see that you've walked more the path of shame because that's sort of what I wanted to go back to even from a second ago. Yeah. What you're describing is you, you thinking that they just aren't going to be who's going to believe me. Yeah. And that's the part of it where. Women who are feeling like this, who's going or, or people in general, but specifically women who are feeling like this, yeah, uh, are they need to be able to feel like they're still going to have a valid voice at the table to at least say what they need to say, right? Because to remind the same women that I would say that to, that I would encourage to speak, yeah, remember as you are afraid of this shame that we're sitting with someone today who said the response to her shame was overwhelmingly loving. Yes. And I think that's what's bound to happen because you mentioned, you know, I was going down to Las Vegas to, to, to cocktail. People knew something else was happening. You don't go to Las Vegas to cocktail. Right. And no one's going to point blank question that or ask that. So when you begin to speak your own, the realities of your situation to some of these people who may or may not have already suspected they're ready to embrace you. Yeah. Um, I wish I would have come out sooner because people started to understand me. Mm. Um, why was Tashiana so angry? Mm. Why did she, cause I was a fight. I was fighting men in a bar. I would take off my shoe because it got to that point where it was fight or flight. 
And nobody's ever going to put their hands on me. Nobody's ever going to come at me again. And a man would touch me and it would react. And I would take my shoe and just start pounding guys over their head. And they were like, they couldn't get me off of people. I was wild because it was like, I wish you would (laughs) do this again. And so I'm, once I started to come out and figure out who I was and how, it affected me. I never wanted to be looked at as a crazy girl, as a wild girl, as a person who just fights people. It was trying to protect myself. It was the trauma that I had been through. Mm. So once I started to dissect me and peel off every onion layer Mm. and get to the core is when I was like, I'm not that person. They just wanted me to be that person. And I was just conforming to what was done to me. So now to show people the nice side of me, that'll give you the shirt off your back and, you know, and take you where you need to go and pray for you and whatever you need. It feels good to be your true, authentic self and stop living in this fear and this fight or flight moment. Yeah. And and parfait layers instead of onions now. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So let's shift gears a second. Here. Okay. You, uh, You suffered an injury in a factory you were starting to tell us about. Oh, yeah. So um, I was working in a factory. And, you know, when you were saying earlier that you would listen to the song and it started to, like, shift you, I was doing the same thing. I was listening to Tasha Cobbs, and I was just listening all day. And I would just be like this crybaby at work trying to hide my face (laughs) because I was still tough, you know. I didn't want them to know that I was going through that shift and process of my life of I need better. But it was hard to be better when you're in toxic work environments, when I'm living with toxic people, but the inside was crying out. Mm. But I didn't allow that to change me. I was still listening to positive stuff. I was uh, shifting everything of my life. And um, I got a work injury and I caught 50 pounds. It was starting to fall off of a table. And I was like, man, if these parts hit the floor, my boss already hates me. He's a womanizer. And I was like, I can't. And I'm reliving all your traumas in this one moment. Man, yeah, it was a lot. And I, I always had a sense of like boldness about me. And I would go to my boss and be like, I don't know who you are, but you just can't just cuss at me every morning. So we can just go to HR. You can just get it together. Like, I don't know who you think you are. No, you're going to respect me. And I will just walk away. (laughs) So uh, like, I just, I just didn't care. I was just like, I had dealt with enough of that. And I mean, there was, there was racism at my work. Don't make me break out the shoe. Oh, right. Cause you got, and these are steel toe boots. These aren't heels. <laughs> like, and I, I got to that point, right. I'm going to talk about the toxicity that I was around. There was like a 300 pound woman who was very destructive, um, in my zone and they would call her a troll and they would purposely like drag her big body across the floor total body shaming her. She went to HR nothing got done. Um, Another man called one of the Middle Eastern men a sand N-word, and nothing got done. And it was like, well, what's the point of HR? It was like, well, you guys are complaining. A man was having uh, talks about bestiality, and nothing was done. And I was just like, I'm just not going to deal with this. Like, I checked out. Yeah. And um, so I was like, in the midst of dealing with that and this hurt on the inside of me and listening to these songs, crying in the corner, doing my job, um, these car parts fall on me and I grab them and I just push them up and I'm like, I'm okay. And I went to go pick up a part and I couldn't do it. 
And I was like, I'm going to tape my wrist. I'm good. Tape my wrist up. And I'm like, you know, just probably a little sprain or something. And I go grab a part. And I'm like, there's no connection from my brain to my hand. I couldn't do anything with my hand. It didn't work. It didn't work. And I was like, something's wrong. And the kid in front of me was like, dude, what's wrong with your hand? I was like, I don't know. And I go to my boss. And he was like, oh, oh my gosh. Like, what? <sighs> Are you really hurt? Uh, did something did and I'm like no I seriously cannot move my hand and so the job that I was they have EMTs on site and so I go down there and I said I tape my wrist he said untape your wrist it's a hand injury go to medical like go to um, a clinic um, my boss has to take me the one who hasn't cared about how much complaining yeah. and not just me complaining the area the whole environment was tore up and he has to take me, which I didn't feel safe. I'm in a car alone with a man who I don't like nor respect. And it was very awkward in his vehicle, not a company vehicle. Ah. Yeah, a little off. And they have company vehicles? Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> they do. Uh, nice ones. <laughs> do they make company vehicles? You know. <laughs> I'm not saying, but you know, they were really nice. <laughs> so um, in case you're listening out there, sir. <laughs> that part. <laughs> so um we go there and they x ray me and they're like, This is not normal. And they said, We know they're the x ray tech is like, I've never seen this. So they just give me some morphine. So now I'm drugged up in a car with my supervisor and they said take her to the er and so you know we do the er process and um they're like this isn't normal so i'm having all these doctors say this isn't right um her whole arm should have been broke so they started to check like my brachioplasty up here by in, in your shoulder and my collarbone they said you should have snapped your whole arm into like a million pieces of the weight and i was like listen this doesn't hurt but i can't feel this i can't feel my wrist and um, I, I'm not a pushover again. And I just thank God that I'm not a pushover. Yeah, I, I, I've established pretty good <laughs> here at Tough Chick. Yeah. So um, they put me in like a half sling thing. And they said, you know, you got to, you have to wait for your work to approve that you can now go to different specialists. And I started to do my research instantly, how workmen's comp doctors will say that you're fine and all of this and not mm -hmm. let them have their way. So I go to workman's comp doctor and they, they grab my wrist that's broke because it's dislocated. It was dislocated. And they're like, you're fine. And I said, let me talk to your supervisor. I had the x-rays in hand of my wrist being dislocated. And I said, what do you see that's fine? I said, I will come for your job. And instantly I said, I need a workman's comp lawyer because I see what they're trying to do. Yep. So I start going to doctors. I was being followed by the company. They um, followed me very aggressively to and from doctors, following me Whoa. home, following me in the factory. Yes. And I felt like a criminal. I said, I didn't do anything. I got hurt. I saved your freaking 50 pound. Pie. Yeah. Which was like thousands and thousands of dollars. But this is a body. Yeah. And so um, I, I get to the uh, what is it called? The, the bone specialist. Oh, okay. And they said, he's an older man. He said, I've seen this three times in my career. He said, you should have broke your whole arm. So the way that my, um, the, the injury was, they casted me. I wish I could do that. <laughs> so oh. bad. So they Sorry. casted me up. <laughs> they casted me up to my shoulder. 
And so, you know, and it's my right arm. I'm right handed. And I go home and I start screaming, crying. Like literally it was fire in my arm. It was pins and needles. I'm going to show you a picture before I leave from night. Um, It was pins and needles in my arm and I'm screaming. I'm like, what's going on with my arm? And my brother and my family like, man, you're faking. I've broke a bone. Like it's not that serious. I said, no, something's wrong with me. I go to work and I get treated like crap. And, um, I, I get treated like crap and, um, I'm just confused on why I got hurt there and I get treated like crap. And I like this, this can't be real. So I go on for a couple months of wearing a cast and go into different doctor's appointments because they have to legally let me go to doctor's appointments. Finally, when they take off the cast, he said, I'm sending you to a neurologist. I go to a neurologist and he said, you have the worst disease known to man. This is at the top of the Mitt Griffin pain scale. It's called complex regional pain syndrome. This is above cancer, above uh, fibromyalgia, above uh, natural childbirth. This is above it all. It is at the very top. He said, that is what you have. The nickname for this disease is called the suicide disease because so many, the pain that comes with this, the icy, the tingling, the burning, um, People kill themselves. Mm -hmm. He said, we got to send you to a psychologist because you're not going to kill yourself. Don't go home and look it up. I go home and I Google this disease. (laughs) Okay, I get right on YouTube. And he said, and by the way, you have the worst case that I've ever seen. He said, because you've gone to physical therapy. I did like eight, eight weeks. No, more than eight weeks. I did like four or five months of a hand therapist who would cry. The therapist was crying like, I can't help you. Um, there's times so much pain. I went to the hospital and, um, I just, I was on pills. You know, you, you complimented me on my outfit earlier because I lost myself when I got this disease. I wore pajamas three, four days, funky laying on the couch, popping gabapentin and Lyrica smoking all the weed in the world. Cause I was like, I'm just going to die. Like the pain in my arm and, and your limbs swell up like an elephant, So um, one arm would be ginormous and my other arm would be normal. And my coworkers were saying that I was still faking. I got treated like dirt. She's faking. And I would just be depressed and crying. I've been here with you for about three hours now. I haven't seen your hand change shape. No. There's there's nothing about. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, it stays there. Yeah, it stays there. Um, But I don't have any pain. Yeah, tell me about that. I was going to ask Okay, what you're describing doesn't feel like today. If somebody um, was having natural childbirth in here, I think we'd know it. Yeah. And it was crazy because during that process, I just kept saying, oh, my gosh, I would rather have like natural childbirth because I had my kids naturally. And people are like, no, you're crazy. So I dealt with, um, I don't know, people are not going to believe me, but I'm just going to tell my truth. Okay. I believe. Okay. Break it down. I like, I believe in supernatural miracles. So, um, I believe fully where we're going from here. Okay. Okay. I can't wait to tell you about my son. So, um, that's when my turnaround came and I was like my big sit down Tashiana, like girl, sit down. You're drinking, you're being an alcoholic. My hand was my blessing. It turned everything around in my life. And when I got out of that depression mode, I mean, cause it's like, how do you feel at 32 years old and your 11 year old daughter has to get up and tie your shoes? Mm. She has to snap your bra. She, she's now mom. Mm. And, oh, I'm not going to cry, y'all. Mm. 
Um, so my daughter now had to be mom and there was times where my son was having a seizure and I was so doped up on the pills that I couldn't get up and take care of my son. My daughter and my other son had to. And I said, I cannot take these pills anymore. And so I started to go to church even more. And I have, I'm in a deliverance ministry. Okay. Like, yes, we'll lay you out. Yes. There's miracles. I'm just going to say what I know. Okay. <laughs> and so I just started to say, um, then my pastor said, do you have faith? Because the same God that was in the Bible, the same Jesus Christ is in the Bible, but the miracles are still here. People just don't have faith. Do you want to be healed? And I said, I just can't live with this pain, pastor. He said, when well, you're not going to live in pain no more. And they started to pray for my hand. And I literally stopped taking pills and my hands stopped swelling. And that has been almost a year and I don't have pain. Anytime it starts to hurt, I go back up to the altar and I said, y'all better pray for me because I refuse (laughs) to take these pills. And I've had people come to me and say, you were going to pull your arm straight. I believe it. I believe it. I think it's just a miracle that people need to see to have the worst disease that it has been charted, documented by so many doctors in Vegas. They flew me out to Vegas. Say the name of it again real quick. Complex regional pain syndrome two. So CRPS two. CRPS two. Yes. Um, Literally, I don't have pain. Um, Before, I couldn't write. I still can't write because I can't turn my arm, but I couldn't even hold a cell phone. I can see a little of the swelling around the wrist. A little bit. But man, it's a little bit now. I would have never known any of it had you not said anything. Yeah. So I literally just walk by faith that it will be healed all the way. But for right now, I'm pain free. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it, it turns purple and stuff like that. If I, how much mobility do you have? I really don't. Like Just literally, you see it'll shake. Yeah. That's it. And that's only time, sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah. it it was supposed to kill me. It was supposed to, right? Right. They say that I would go arm. crazy. And I just said, I'm not going to allow that. To have the worst disease in the world, for it to mess with my mental, that I literally have one arm. I don't use this arm really for anything. Yeah. Um, and I said, it's not going to take me out. I'm still a mom. I still got stuff to do. I might do stuff differently. I use my feet sometimes. Um, I said, I'm not going to stay. Like, I gained a lot of weight. I've recently lost, like, 40 pounds because I just said, I'm not. I am going to be the person who I want to be. I'm going to live my best life. Disease, no disease. You're not going to hold me down. Wow. Yes. So, it's like, are you just going to just because the doctor has said that I have this, I have to have this? Mm. Nah. No, 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 no. no. I'm going to live life. I'm going to live life. I believe in this power. I believe in the power of our our, our mental being able to overcome. And I certainly yeah. believe the introduction of faith just yeah. genera- you know, energizes that. I, I think people sometimes think that, you know, for somebody who like you described, you're not going to believe me. Well... I believe you in it because right. I'm, I'm looking at it before my eyes. I can right. see that it's very real. I can see that you're sitting here without pain, mm-hmm. right? I think people sort of associate miracles like this with being magic. Yeah. Ugh. It's not magic. If I think about let's let me just analyze. Let me, let me chase yeah. this. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> You've got 
you've got a God who tells us something was, you know, the earth was invented in 4,000 years. Yeah. Nonsense from human years. Okay. But who knows what a God year looks like? That could be a million human years. You don't know. We don't know what mm-hmm. a year is to him. If a year for us is the earth going around the sun once, how much orbiting is being done in everything? That right. A year. Okay. So, so this is where I start that breakdown, right? Because what I'm getting at is that even for God to create and do things here in the natural, he must work with science. That's also his creation. People always say this God versus science. In my mind, there's no verses. If I created science, science would be mine to do with as I wish. Mm. Now, you visit these doctors and they know what kind of pain you're headed for. Yeah. So what do they do? They they immediately start to, it's pills and surgeries yes. and treatments and pulling on it and fucking with it. First hand, any of us would acknowledge when you start screwing around with something for too long, it remains agitated. Yeah. So right out of the gate, the thing God did for you the most in my mind is he cleared your own blockage to what you'd been told to expect. Come on. Right. And, and once you removed yourself from the reliances that you were using because of this pain that you'd been taught to be afraid of. Yes. What happened is your body just started to finally heal without further aggravations and numbing substances. I learned this in the hospital myself. I had a, a, a contact lens that had dried out so much that it actually stuck to my eyeball. Oh, no. And I had to go to the ER to remove it. And the mm. doctor said to me, Take my eye water. There's no other way. This just has to happen. And he grabbed it and. <gasps> uh-uh. <laughs> that and my mom goes whoa you don't ever respond to pain like that mm. it was yeah painful it was real so once that happened it just sort of healed on its own but in the medium they gave me these eye drops and they said every time you put these eye drops in it will instantly stop the pain mm. it will also stop the healing process so i'm putting these drops in <laughs> and there's literally my eye goes oh I was watering. <laughs> like 40 seconds goes by and I'm like, fuck, it hurts again. Yeah, yeah. Trip. It took, if I had if I had just stopped with the drops, the eye would have healed in 36 hours. Wow. Wow. It took me 17 days to heal it because it just hurt. And so when you're kind of pre told like hey this is this is gonna be the worst pain you ever oh you had kids naturally great that's nothing watch what right. happens here's a bunch of pills here's a bunch of this now in my mind god kind of goes no i'm gonna heal this the old-fashioned way yeah and he sparked you up to ask for it hey please just help me out here yeah and then he came in and answered it with some natural freaking science yeah so a person that might sit and be like ah, i don't believe that's bullshit I just don't know that. I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, even when I took the pills, I was like gaining weight, you know, now I'm obese, you know, and I'm, I'm not feeling healthy and I'm still in pain. And I had, it was like clockwork in the beginning. Oh, I feel this pain. I got to take this pill. I got to take this pill. I got to take this pill. And I would still be laying on the couch, just sleep in a daze in a slump. 
And then they tried to even give me a spinal cord stimulator. So they went in my spine and put leads up in my neck. And I had all these issues with my neck because of that. And I was just like, no, like, you know, they say God's everything and he's our healer. So he's going to heal me. Mm -hmm. And that's just what I went with. I was just like, I don't believe the doctors anymore. (laughs) I don't care what you said. Yeah. And yeah. Whether or not that could work for everybody, I can't profess to, but I can say this. Everybody I've ever heard say God healed me was being dead, dead fucking real. That's yeah. Dead serious. Dead real. There's for me, I know of my saving. I'm aware of my healing. I I should be in a a hole or a cell. Me too. That's where that should. That's where both of us should be. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we're doing. And yet, I mean, this is a nice room. This doesn't look like dead or prison, does it? <laughs> right, right. So we're doing okay. I mean, you're doing okay. Yes. Writing books out here. You, you know, any- I didn't want to write. Right. Yeah. He actually was like, write the book. Oh. And I and I just kept hearing that. You know, people say, oh, I write just felt this, sitch, like felt this. Or, you know, I literally would heard like, write the book write the book and I kept making all the excuses I can't write I got one hand I'm not left-handed I could still barely sign my name with my left hand and I've had this disease for two years a tablet was given to me there you go I was like well I don't have an editor I can't I can't do this (laughs) literally an editor was given to me and then people offered to pay because they heard my testimony they heard my story and they were like we'll pay for it and I just heard God say no you use the one that I sent you I ended up getting the book half price, like less, less than half price. When you just, when you just do what he says, it works, you know, Papa, she doesn't have a hundred thousand copies sold yet. Come on, speak (laughs) it into existence. Come on, you know, when you need an editor, but I, I haven't even like advertised really. Everything has just been coming to me. And I believe when you just align yourself properly, um, people have reached out to me. I heard so-and-so. I heard you on this. Like, come over here. And it's just like, just because I I wrote the book. Well, your hustle is solidly in place. I mean, we... From one day to the next, we were able to get in here and I don't even know how much we have so much. And uh, yeah, see, we got another, a whole nother. Unreal. Awesome. Amazing. I mean, you're really a, you're a charming person. Thank you. You're, you, you, your self corrections and your healing are so evident. Uh, you glow so well with your story. Thank I, you. I really, really hope people hear this and latch on and follow you a little bit. They, they would do very well to understand who you are and where you came from. Thank you. Uh, there are there are more than a few girls out there that I think might be struggling with similar things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Okay. Well, let's take a little break here and uh, we'll come back with some more from Pashiana Ortiz. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. Well, I, I think uh, we were at a spot where I think I was going to talk a little bit about how I came in, but I don't remember why. Your eye. Oh, yes. That's the story we're going to tell. Yeah. See, you mentioned um, you mentioned how your your injury mm-hmm. became a catalyst for your change. I think that my eye was meant to be the first catalyst to let me know that I wasn't seeing the world correctly. Wow. Uh, 
in fact, when I when I myself came to my own faith, mm-hmm. I was writing a lesson note in my phone, something that I learned that day about uh, treatment and my eye and things. <clears throat> and it led me to a certain scripture that talks specifically about how uh, God took the right eye. And and that's what happened to me. I didn't I didn't know at the time. Yeah, I, I wasn't studied at all. I didn't care. I, if you said Jesus to me, I would have said, well, he's probably there, but I don't give a rat's ass either way. Yeah, it's it's interesting that I was completely comfortable with dismissing my God my whole life and sort of behaving like he wasn't there all the while kind of knowing that he was. Come on. Even when I did probably what was the most, the most um, controversial action mm-hmm. that I've ever taken in my my life in terms of where I misstepped in my path. In that moment, this godless man looks up and says, "I mean, you understand where I'm coming from, right?" Yeah, yeah. And he he said back, "Oh, I get it, but I don't like it." Ah, uh. it was pretty clear, and. I always sort of took that as me telling me that because that's also how I felt. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get it. But you don't, you don't like what you're doing here. Trust mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So back to the eye. I'm not really sure exactly like the chain of events that led to this specific thing mm-hmm. uh, in terms of why I think this was supposed to be my first attention from God. Like, letting me know that I wasn't doing it right. But the particular night, um, this girl comes into the bar I was working at. And she was friends with a girl that I was seeing, Mm. but not taking seriously. Right. So the two of them are in there, and she starts to try to talk to me about why. I haven't been talking to her much and this or that. And the friend, I'm kidding you not, we're face to face and the friend is like on the side, but like looking at both of us Mm -hmm. in this mediating facet. And I I sort of remember just being really genuinely annoyed by that in the first place. (laughs) I felt like if people start talking that you should go away maybe or whatever. Now in the moment, that's my thought. Right. So, this is probably going to sum up the kind of son of a bitch I was. Okay. When I say I was hurting people with relationships, we're going back and forth and the friend tries to say something and it may or may not have been something helpful. I don't have, I was in such a state of myself that Mm -hmm. I didn't, I was totally going. So mid stride of whatever sentence I was saying over the top of her, I just went, yeah, Grownups are talking and I licked my finger and I wiped the front of her glasses and it was just this son of a bitch move. I'm shook. Shook. Could you imagine? So was her boyfriend. Very shook. (gasps) Now, I didn't know who the guy was at the time that she even had a boyfriend. I didn't know who this person was. Nothing. I was just to me handling my business, but I was a bastard in those times. So... It's a couple of weeks that go by and I go into the tattoo shop where I was getting tattooed and, and the guy kind of comes over and confronts me and he's like, hey, I heard this thing and I was disrespectful and I was like, 
well, man, whatever it is, we can figure it out. You know, first that those those two instances were happening, but then also the same girl began to try to fight with the bartender a little mm. bit later. Mm-hmm. So there was an added element of me then throwing them out of the bar after yeah. all of these into right. So there's just this this stuff. So he comes over and he's like, "Yeah, she wants to talk to you. Whatever." It's all confrontational. So cool. Just let me know, man. We'll talk. It's not a big deal. I'm not yeah. looking at And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to tell her to come over here. <laughs> well, apparently he starts texting her to come over to the shop. Come over. Let's have lunch, he says. Oh, let's my hang gosh. Out. Right. Set up. She doesn't know what she's walking in. So she walks in and I'm laying in the chair getting tattooed. And he's like, okay, there he is. And I already told him you want to talk to him. <laughs> And she hands over the face, turns around, runs out the back door. Oh. And now she is pissed at him. (laughs) Another couple weeks goes by. And I had a show, a concert performance for an artist I had booked that night. And I went to Kinko's to try to print the contract for this artist. Yeah. Goes by the name of Murs. And Kinko's... Their computer system was broken. So it, they, they usually have like a card reader you can get on the internet. Well, the whole thing was down mm-hmm. and I couldn't log into the email to get the, the contract. But it so happened that the shop owner, who was a friend, was in that Kinko's. And I said, can I run over to the shop and print something out? Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So I go to the shop. And when I get in, the shop assistant girl and the girlfriend are on the computer. So I come around the corner and I'm like, oh, sorry about that. I'll just wait. And the shop girl goes, what's up? What's up? And I was like, oh, Brandon told me I could use a computer real quick. I just need to print a contract, mm-hmm. and, but I'll wait. It's no problem. Well, she, who was on the computer, gets up and scurries off. Yeah. And here comes dude. I'm sitting at the computer because I thought they were clearing it for me. I just thought they were being cool. <laughs> and I'm like, click, click, clicking away. And he comes, stands right over the top of me. Mm. He's leaning down in and he goes, So where'd you kick my lady off the fucking computer now? Oh. And I was like, no, man. None of that happened at all. I just needed to do this. And I thought they were, just tell her to come back in and let's talk. Mm -hmm. She don't want to fucking talk to you now. Mm. So I go, yes. And I can't help you. And I went back to what I was doing. Mm. Son of a bitch, move. Uh. Right over the top. And I felt my whole face kind of go sideways and like whatever. Yeah. And I just stood up. Whatever face I was making when I stood up must have frightened the hell out of him. Mm. I think he wasn't expecting me to stand up at all. And then to stand up and just be making a face because he like put his dukes up and started leaning back. Yeah. And I just kind of looked at him and I just turned and went straight for the door and walked out and tried to go assess and shattered my orbital and all sorts oh of these things. Oh my gosh. Now, it was weeks later when I thought everything was good and healed up. And I'm bowling with some friends. And there's all this little dried blood bruising in the eye. Mm. And so I'm slinging bowling balls. And one of those little pieces just right through the retina. Didn't even feel it. No Uh. pain, nothing. All of a sudden, my vision starts peeling down. Uh, literally looked like taking wallpaper off and what was underneath my, was just my. 
a gray cloud. And so I called the doctors and they're like, all right, what you got to do is lay on your stomach until we get you this surgery. I was like, okay, I'll be right over. They're like, no, we have to schedule it for Tuesday. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's happening now. So we went in there and they tried to did it, scheduled a 90 minute surgery that went for, I don't know, six hours or something. Wow. They reattached the whole retina, but it's all stretched out and wonky and they took the lens out. And so now my eye basically has nothing. And so there's like some blurriness in the middle. I get a little bit of light and shape sometimes. Wow. But then it closes. It's solid black. So my scope of vision is only about so wide. Mm. And what's in there is nothing. So uh, waiting for somebody who knows how to connect your brain to your receptors and fix my problem with something futuristic. But I think I might just not see you out of that. It's just a disconnect there. Wow. So at that point, had I had any sense, I probably would have went, well, this guy hit me because I had something that pissed him Mm -hmm. and his girlfriend off. Mm -hmm. And I don't really understand it. That was sort of just one of the reflections of many of the ways that I was handling relationship at that time. Yeah. 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 I'm like mind blown. You said something about self. Um, I wish I could recall exactly what you said, but... I had to learn how to take myself out of my own issues, like put your own emotions and your own feelings down and look at it like at you're looking at yourself. Mm -hmm. And that helped me with my healing and not acting out in those angry ways because I used to be the girl to fight and all of that stuff. And so looking at it at the outside, looking in really helped me um, re rebuild my life. And also, um, not allowing people to emotionally hijack you. Like don't allow other people to have like your emotions just like up and down and all over the place. Cause we do that. Right. Mm. Like what people say to you shouldn't take you all the way left or all the way. Right. You gotta be grounded. Right. You gotta be like so secure and be like, man, it's all right. You don't have power over my emotions, over my mind, over my feelings and, and just stay steady in that. And that's hard. Real deal. (laughs) I took a lot of learning. Yeah, I like how you describe beatings and senseless violence and horrible things as learning because you know what? That's what it is. Yeah. The greatest teacher won't hesitate to let you learn. Yeah. Uh, it, it was the process. I had to go through the process. And like I said, that refinery of like, hey, we got to do better. Now, you know, not to, you know, lick your eye, your, your, your tongue and touch somebody. You can avoid black eyes. <laughs> you, you know not to do it anymore. OK. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was a, it was a process. <laughs> Yeah. Well, geez, you just are such a charm. I Thank I you. really appreciate you being here with us and coming in and bringing your your daughter in on your day together. And this has been just delightful. It has been fun. It's it's nice to walk in it and not just talk about it. Yeah. It's it's a it's refreshing to be your true authentic self and not be like scared anymore. This is who I am now, and that is who I was. And y'all get the better version of me and, you know, who I was supposed to be in this life, not just this party, wild woman, alcoholic, you know? Unbelievable. Yeah, the turnaround is real. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, I tell you, that's 
Hashiana Ortiz. That's beautiful. Thank Wonderful. You. It was great to meet you and have you here. Where where can people find your book other than Amazon? Um, it's going to be on Barnes and Noble in the next couple of days. It's on Kindle. And then if you want a signed copy, you can find me on Facebook. I'll order it, sign it and ship it off to you. Oh my goodness. That's exactly how I'm going to take mine then. That'll okay, cool. I'll come find it and order it through the right channels. There and we go. Wonderful. Yes. Well, I hope people go and read your book. Thank you're, you. you're a person people should probably know. And ah, thank you. Uh, a little army of women following you around probably is not a bad thing for this world. Yeah, you know, I just want women to know that we don't have to live that lifestyle. Um, even more than just women, you know, even men, you don't have to. We, the men suffer with addictions and with traumas as well. And we just got to learn that getting help is okay. You don't have to just sit by yourself. There are other people who have been through what you have been through. And once you can speak out, that healing starts to take place. And we love yourself enough to get healed, to get whole and happy. Because, like, could you imagine how great you really are without this depression sitting over you? And, like, I say the weights, right? Like, the weights of, like, were just set down. And so when I'm walking through life with no weights on me, it it's a good feeling. Yeah. It's a good feeling. It shows on you. You're you're this Thank big you. full of life presence. It's yeah. just it's just a delight. I really hope the world for you. It's you've, Thank you've you. gone through a lot and I'd like to see you come Thank out you. on top a little bit more. You yeah. just keep walking your steps. So you're doing great. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I'm yeah. really excited for the journey.